All roads lead to power. And on this show, we're going to break that idea down a little bit. What is power? Who has it? How do you get it? We'll deconstruct everything from motivation and mental health to anti-racism and addiction. Ultimately, the goal is to give you the tools and strategies that you need to live your most powerful life, being a force for good in the world and impacting the people around you in a positive way. Powerful is brought to you by me, your host, Jeff Kular. I help people change and build incredible teams. Welcome to the show. realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Because the so-called real world of men and money and power comes merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship itself. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline. If people don't learn power, people don't wake up. If they don't wake up, they get left out. If people don't learn power, people don't wake up. And if they don't wake up, they get left out. We're going to talk about waking up today. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Powerful. My name is Jeff Coulard, and I'm thrilled that you're spending some time with me this week. This is a really, really important interview that I did with a fellow named Scott Schmidt, who is the layout editor of the Medicine Hat News. And the Medicine Hat News, if you live in Alberta, has been essentially the beacon of speaking truth to power in this province. Surprisingly, it it surprised me a few months ago when journalists there and the editor and people started making decisions to question the United Conservative Party, the new government here in Alberta, about some of their decisions and lack of clarity and questionable decision-making when it comes to vulnerable populations. I'll call it questionable for now, but if you knew me, I'd probably, you'd probably know that I would use harsher words most of the time, but uh, let's just say that there's been a lot of decisions that have been made around budgets and budget cuts in this province that have disproportionately affected poor, oppressed, marginalized people and our healthcare and our education system. And in the time between Recording this interview with Scott and me releasing it, here we are, April 2nd, uh, there's been even more questionable decisions. You know, there's been a global pandemic. This coronavirus, COVID-19, has swept the globe, resulting in all kinds of turmoil in society at large, but certainly in healthcare and education. And the United Conservative Party has decided to pick fights with doctors, uh, to the fact that the Alberta health minister actually showed up on a private citizen's driveway, a doctor, and berated him in front of his family for a meme that he posted on Facebook. And if that sounds ridiculous, listener, well, it's because it's ridiculous. Uh, There's also been mass layoffs, about 20,000 education professionals lost their jobs a couple of days ago when the Conservative Party decided to cut budgets further in in the education system and lay a bunch of people off in the midst of this pandemic crisis and then turned around and dropped a few billion dollars into buying an oil pipeline. So if you wonder what the priorities are of today's Alberta government, um, that paints a pretty stark picture for you. Uh, But let's get to the interview. Scott and I dig into the media. We dig into the role of the media in a healthy, functioning, democratic system. We talk about Scott's journey uh, through journalism school and into his profession and what he thinks about his profession and some tough love that he's got for some of his counterparts that don't always speak truth to power, that seem to toe the party line and not question what they're being fed by the government of the day. Um, So it's a really fascinating conversation. We cover a lot of territory and there's some really great nuggets in there about how to consume news and where to consume your news and things to watch out for as you consume your content as a consumer of the media and to question some of what you're hearing. So without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Scott Schmidt and please do subscribe to the Medicine Hat News. You can get their digital copy. Uh, find them on Twitter at Schmitz, he says. I'll have links in uh, all the usual places in the show notes. But please do take a few minutes after you listen to this to find a way to support the Medicine Hat News and the work that they're doing to speak truth to power because it's a really important job. Scott, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, great. Um, we've got lots that we could probably talk about, and we probably will. So we'll spend some time exploring uh, your experiences in the media as a, as a newspaperman. Um, and but I'm really interested in kind of what's been going on lately with the Medicine Hat News and with you. Um, <laughs> it, it, unlikely appearance by the Medicine Hat News in the, the Alberta News landscape a few months mm-hmm. ago with some 
I, I guess we'll call it critical or questioning um, perspectives on the the government at, at hand and and taking taking a bit of a stand against some of the things that have been going on at the, at the level of the government. And you guys have been kind of front and center in that. And so maybe you can just fill us in a little bit about kind of what prompted this um, and how it's been going and just, you know, fill us in on what's been happening sure. in the world. Sure. Well, I mean, I mean, first of all, we, we've sort of, um, because one of my colleagues, Jeremy Appel, has written a few editorials, I think three or four total uh, regarding the government, the Alberta government anyway, in the last, it, since I've done it, and, and my column that has come out, we, it, we've sort of gotten this reputation that maybe we are uh, sort of this like independent news source that came together and decided like, we're going to start doing this or we're going to, we're going to go after the government or do this or that. That's not how that happened at all. I just happened to uh, be sort of at a, a boiling point, I guess, personally, where I sit at a desk, I'm the layout editor. So I go through all the news every day from the world right down to our newsroom. And uh, you just sort of see how the world works and how things are portrayed and and talked about and stuff. And you can't, you kind of can't um, avoid it affecting you, I think, over the years. And, you know, we talk about, we get all this attention for speaking true to the power or, 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 or crit- critiquing Alberta power, but we're only getting attention because uh, we, um, we have this reputation for for speaking against uh, the, the Alberta government right now, but um, it's only because of the fact that we are back to having a conservative government and we happen to be critiquing a conservative government. I mean, we just had four years of a central government, I would say, centrist pretty much, left-leaning, mm-hmm. obviously, party, and they received critique from every medium across the province and country. I mean, it was just nonstop. Mm-hmm. And so now um, it's sort of, I had this feeling, I guess, that like once conservative government was back in power, and this is like an extremely conservative government, that there might be a, a level of a backing off and, and people not paying attention to it the same way. And that's a exactly what happened. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you know, so when I started to write, um, it was more just like, I feel like I need to say some stuff and whatever happens, happens. I mean, I'm just at the Medicine Hat News. So I was just more doing it for my own psyche, I guess. When that happened, I mean, it sort of struck people because nobody else was, was doing it really. And I thought uh, seems like it that, that to me is what's been yeah. so crazy about it because this government could use some critique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, maybe let's back up a little bit and yeah. fill the listener in on your your history. How long have you been in the media? Because there's there's a backstory to this. I'm guessing where the media landscape you're kind of watching the media landscape and yeah. maybe have some concerns about the media landscape and how people are getting their news and what we're talking about, what we're allowed to talk about, what's sure. being put out there a little bit of backstory to that boiling point that point where you got to where it's like, you know, enough enough well the, the 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 real crazy thing is is that my backstory isn't that of someone that grew up wanting to tell the truth and fight you know f- uh you know fight for that and blah blah, blah. I, I i had not that was not me at all mm-hmm. um i actually got into journalism I don't 199 or sorry 2007 I started going to school and I went because I wanted to watch hockey for money that's <laughs> like essentially where I was at by the time I was finished school my I would say my mentor in writing uh my main sort of the program head I guess he had sort of bet me that there that I wasn't going to end up in sports and early on I laughed at the prospect of that and of course I never ended up going into sports. I freelanced out of school for um, a couple of years. Um, I did a little bit of everything at that point. I was always sort of with this mindset of coming to the Medicine Hat News because I had lived here prior. And um, I had, at the time, I had a girlfriend and that kind of thing that I wanted to kind of get back to. So I was freelancing out of Lethbridge and doing a lot of traveling. So I just sort of waited for the Medicine Hat News position to come available and then it did. And I was doing like general reporting for in about 2010, I guess I started there. So I was doing general reporting and about a year or so in, there was enough movement 
uh, around me, people moving off to other publications and that kind of thing, where I had this choice between I could go to the layout desk, do the copy editing and that kind of thing, design the paper, which is what I do, <laughs> or I could have taken on my own beat, like a, you know, the, the city or the education or crime or something like that. And I chose the desk because, like I said, I, I guess I didn't really get into journalism for the same reasons that a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. But then I sat at that desk for, well, like eight and a half years now, you know, eight years for sure, where I've sat at this desk. And, um, you know, I was always interested in politics, don't get me wrong. And I was always interested in how the world worked, but just on a personal level. Yeah. But then you sit there and you just see just almost a decade of of the way things are sort of presented, the way that media, where media has gotten to, where it's just sort of like we're so much just printing what elected officials just, they're, they're, they're already like these scripted statements just get printed. It's almost like PR. Mm -hmm. And so you just, I don't know, I just, over time, you just started to notice these kinds of things. And then the NDP happened and I saw this sort of nonstop level of attack, I guess, toward them. Mm -hmm. And some of it um, was warranted. Like I said, you should always hold your government accountable. I mean, that's what the media is for, right? So we, you know, holding them accountable to what they're doing, that's fine. But there was, there was just to the point that it was misinformation and there was just, I don't know, I think not even just here. I think the landscape ever since, you know, like the Donald Trumps and stuff like that showed up. I think there's this landscape of just, I don't know, constant, you know, mislead, like deceptiveness and rhetoric. And I just, I don't know. It can I be got, really hard, it seems, to get get the truth <laughs> or like get even the semblance of the truth these days. Like, I know it there's really been lots is. of research about depending on, you it know, really is. the bubble that you're in really impacts the, the your, percep your perception and your perspective on the news and what's happening in the world. Um, and that can't help but contribute to this ongoing polarization, um, which I've talked about on the podcast before with other guests, which is yeah. a huge problem that I see is that there isn't, doesn't seem to be a middle left anymore or rational no. decision-making based on evidence that yeah. we can all agree on. How do you, how do you consume your news? Other, I mean, I guess you just consume it all day, every day. And that's your job. Right. How would, how would you recommend to people consume their news? Well, first of all, I am lucky because I'm literally paid to consume news. <laughs> And I'm, I'm paid to consume it properly. So um, I don't have a Facebook algorithm deciding what I see. Mm -hmm. But that's the first thing I would recommend to people. Is, and I, and I, know, think, I think people understand this as it is, but it's just a matter of convenience. Mm -hmm. but to truly understand that like your social media um, accounts have programs built to feed you what they think you want to see and hear. And so that has helped if you take you, we, I think we had an apathetic society based on the fact that we had a pretty easy life, like first world living in the 1980s and 90s was pretty all right, you know, mm -hmm. and I grew up a child of, of baby boomers thinking that, you know, I was just gonna go to school and get a job and make a bunch of money and buy a house and have a family and all of these things and the world sort of I just expected certain things and it, you know, and I think that that apathy ex like lasted for a lot of people. Some people chose to go and, and become better informed about things. Some people just sort of let the world come at them because it was, oh, we can't, we could, right. Mm -hmm. We didn't, we didn't really need to inform ourselves so much for a while there. And a lot of people took advantage of that. And I think that um, we missed out on, some of the policy making and decisions and the way that governments made choices um, because we weren't sort of paying attention. And then you take that apathy and that lack of attentiveness and you get these algorithms on these social media accounts that tell you what they, what you want to hear mm -hmm. that, that bottleneck you into these things. Well, then you, you're, you get stuck in these echo chambers and you get you get polarized, you get set in your ways, you know. And so my advice to people is to get off your social media accounts for news, you know, and, and get back into supporting media on a, what's the word I want to say here? Because like, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, this isn't a uh, promotion of mainstream media by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination. I mean, we have to start, we have to understand how to hold media accountable, you know. Um, but you have to start broadening your base. Like, don't be afraid of the things that are written um, that you might not think you agree with or support. And pay attention to the, like what's containing of facts. Like, if you're reading stuff online, are they sourcing their information? Are these credible sources? Do you know, like mm-hmm. people have to take it upon themselves to do a little bit of research and legwork when they are getting fed this information. And I don't know that we're going to get to a world where everyone is doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a problem that we have is that, you know, we, we need that almost done universally. Mm-hmm. And most people, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's convenience or what have you, don't go through those processes. So, yeah, I mean, my guess is that it's convenience more than anything. Like people, or yeah. maybe just like general unawareness. Yeah. I think that there's, yeah. there's, you know, we're getting more and more aware. Uh, but I think there's kind of a probably a general unawareness amongst, like, say, folks who haven't had to work um, to filter their news, and somebody else has built the filter for them and just feeds them confirm, confirmation bias one after the next um that's that's an easy way to consume your news right but um not a not a truthful or not potentially an accurate one i know that there's some movement in education i do quite a bit of work with teachers and in education there's an interesting kind of media literacy Mm -hmm. spotting fake news like curriculum that's starting to kind of form in different pockets and i think that that's probably an important step is helping people build build filters and build strategies to sort through the noise because it's Mm -hmm. not just the news. It's like the general level of noise. I think that we have to deal with um, on these social media platforms. Um, You know, people are going to take the path of least resistance. I think when it comes to this stuff and clicking the clickbait headline to learn something entertaining um, or outrageous or whatever the headline is calling you to is a, is the easy out. I think for a lot of people. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, I write headlines for a living. So um, there's a fine line between being sort of, you know, cute and punny and fun and whatever and trying to catch the reader and stuff and, and, and doing that and Mm -hmm. creating something that isn't there. Right. So yeah, I, it's hard to navigate. Like the trust level is down. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, we're at this point where, you know, that fake news thing is tossed around or whatever. Well, fake news exists. Like there is an existence of medium, um, mediums that aren't telling you the truth all the time. And I don't want to mention any names, but um, there are ones that say that they are legitimate news sources that are not, you know. And I guess um, one way to look at it, like I was telling you about the presentation that I'm doing for the Pekka Kuch and I'm kind of talking about this kind of thing and um, the accountability that comes with what we do like you can correct our information like we will publicly print corrections when we're wrong right and so that to me is a fundamental aspect of this trust relationship that people are scared to have with the media and I think that if they you know we're all humans we're all prone to error but if 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 you're the kind of media that stands up and says, yeah, we screwed that up, we got that wrong. Here's the correct information. Then those are the those are the uh, people that I would trust more than anyone else. And at least where I work, I can confidently say that we we do do that. Like we would never we would never just pretend that we you know if somebody corrected our information, we would never just sort of let that fly we would correct it ourselves publicly right so and i guess that's um, the the distinction between kind of news for the sake of manipulation and propaganda and getting people to believe certain things versus legitimate news to hold accountability for government like I think that if we if we trace the, the the free press back to its origins, that's really what it's about, right? Is 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 speaking truth to power, is mm-hmm. holding power accountable, is For trying sure. to give the electorate, um, mm-hmm. at least in the demo, like it's really a democratic free democracy type thing. This idea of a free yeah. media, that's the intention, and we seem to be drifting dangerously away from that. So maybe some you know some. Ad- We've got some advice for the average consumer, which is probably get off the algorithms for your news. Don't get it out of out of your Facebook bubble. Look for mainstream outlets that have a journalistic standard and some ethics and integrity around, you know, 
printing accurate and factual information and correcting themselves when they make mistakes and all those pieces. And, and certainly there's some good research out there that identifies those outlooks, at least in North America. I've seen some, you know, some good infographics. If you, that's all you need is just an infographic to see who's giving you the real stuff in the center. That's probably where yeah. you should aim some of your media consumption. What about for your colleagues? What about for the media landscape, like people in the media working? What are some ways that, that, you found because this truth to power idea um, is kind of what originally caught my eye. I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, bucking the the trend of of just printing whatever the politicians say as factual. How did you guys make that decision? Did you make it as a group? I'm curious about the like, what happened amongst the team about some of these decisions and also maybe some lessons that you've learned out of it for other folks in other um, outlets or other places that have a media type platform. You know, even myself, it's a podcast. I have a me- I have a platform and I take that seriously about yeah. what I'm putting out into the world and making sure that it's factual and accurate and all of those pieces. But maybe yeah. dig into that side of this conversation a little bit, if you could. Well, first of all, it wasn't, it wasn't a team thing. Um, I don't think that I don't know. I mean, maybe there's people talking when I'm not listening, but I think that for the most part, the my coworkers, my colleagues, at least in the newsroom, are behind what I'm doing. Um, certainly, um, you know, there hasn't been any push to change what I'm doing from from my own coworkers. Mm-hmm. I think what's important for people to understand if they are going to do stuff like this, that you know, if you're against the grain. And the grain that you're going against is like fifth, like fifty years ingrained into people. <laughs> then you better be factual. Mm-hmm. You better have your act together because I promise you they're waiting to pounce. And the people, like the people that have to okay what I'm doing, like my publisher and whatever that has to be okay with what I'm doing they're likely going to treat every complaint like 20 compliments, Mm -hmm. you know, and because that's really what it's been. I mean, my email is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I'm not kidding (laughs) of people just thank you. And you've given me hope and all of these things. And I've probably had, half a dozen in six months personal emails that have been telling me I shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. But I definitely hear about every subscription that gets lost, (laughs) which is less than five in the whole time I've been doing this. Mm -hmm. And I think we've gotten dozens upon dozens of online editions and things like that. And again, you know, it is what it is, but you're going to get, you know, you better stick to your, you better have your crap together, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, I think I can, I think I'm less likely to get away with making a mistake Mm -hmm. than one of the columnists in the province that are sort of touting everything that the government is doing. Routinely misinforming their readers. Correctly. Yeah, correctly. Correct. Exactly. And I I said, like, I, you know, you try not to, I, I, I can, I can be more crit- critical when I'm writing because I'm smart enough to like take the time to read what I'm saying and you can before it goes it. to the public. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to throw anyone under the bus when I'm just talking off the cuff, but for sure. yeah, that's what's happening. There's misinformation that comes from that. And there's misinformation. Like this is what was bugging me the most as I, when I finally snapped, even after I'd started writing the call and I wrote that one early January about truth. Mm-hmm. Like balance is, I, we didn't talk about that at all in journal, journalism school. Like we, I guess we did in the sense that, you know, like if it's a subjective story, you know, you're talking about whether a park should be built at this community, like you talk to residents that like it and residents that don't or whatever, right? But mm-hmm. the tr- truth doesn't care about balance. It just is, you know, and at, at some point, like someone has to stand up and say like, like that's you're being told a lie here. Like that is a that's not true. What they what what that politician just said right there isn't true. Here's the facts. Yep. And if they won't answer to why they're telling you mistruths, then we should continue to bring that up. Like it gets lost. You know, 
Uh, Doug Schweitzer was totally busted by the CBC trying to hide his relationship with Steve Allen or whatever his name mm-hmm. is that lawyer, you know? Yep. He was 100% caught doing that. And it just went poof in the media. And now, why is that? Probably won't why impact is that? election results. And why and is again, that? Yeah. yeah, and again, exactly. It's not, and I don't, it's the indiv- it's not the individual reporters that I think aren't doing their job. Like, I think their job is bottlenecked. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's, it seems like it's gotten really just messy. Like, when I look at the landscape and when I look at this idea of truth and evidence, you know, across the board, with these polarized topics, you know, we're dealing with, you know, safe consumption sites here in the province right now, but more globally, we're dealing with climate change and we're dealing with yeah. know, vaccines and you've got this like vaccine and anti-vax. And it's like, well, actually the evidence is overwhelmingly that this totally. is good for society. And this is like, if we, we're either going to believe in science and evidence, and we're going to use that to inform decision-making, or we're going to be like ideals, idealistic, and we're just going to do what we think is right and feels good, right? And yeah. it seems like politicians more and more are leveraging less evidence and more um, fear, more emotional distress, more stress that people well, are Well, that's feeling. better theater, right? Like yeah. people that are afraid are less likely to inform themselves or, or you know, like people, people that are just sort of worried are going to pr- likely let you make decisions that they wouldn't if they didn't have those fears. Right. And so, um, politicians on both sides are horrible at theater and I've called out the NDP for it as well in my columns. Like theater is absurd Mm -hmm. and it's, 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 it's sad that that's what our politics are. I don't know how you avoid getting there. Like, I'm not, I'm obviously like extremely pro-democracy, right? Mm -hmm. But when you have people that are vying for your vote for something, you've got this period of like where people are going to tell you what, what, whatever you want to hear, what you want to hear, right? Yeah. And so that's really, we've just sort of gotten to this place where that's all it is, is just constant campaigning for people. And you have no, I, like, where's the, where's the truth and the accountability to that? And the, the answers to these questions, like we, they used to be able to make promises and then we'd hold them accountable to those promises. Like, where's this, where's that? Mm-hmm. You're not even, you know, you just, you're not, there's no asking Jason Kenny where the jobs are. He continuously just tells you that jobs are coming. Mm-hmm. Like he's not even like acknowledging the fact that, tens of thousands of jobs have walked right out the door. So he's like, he's, I call it the everything's fine committee. Mm-hmm. Like they just, Oh, everything's fine. This is fine. This is fine. You guys, you know, and he's the chairperson of Alberta's everything's fine committee. But yet it's hilarious because he, he tells you that we are facing catastrophe but only if he's talking about who to blame for it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Everything's Ottawa fine, or, except yeah. for when it's not, and when it's not, right. it's somebody else's fault. Right, and yeah. all these places are against us. And so they're causing whatever catastrophe you're feeling. But other than that, like, everything's fine. Like, the system that created all these problems, that's fine. In fact, we shouldn't just, like support that system we should ramp it up we should double down and move all the pensions in the province right some oil sands projects right because we all know that's a sustainable future right let's have the most unabashed version of free market capitalism in history of canada let's do that that's their plan but while simultaneously simultaneously taking other people's money to prop it up right and to invest in it absolutely you know it's yeah I mean, they'll, the UCP so generous with your money, they'll even give you permission to spend it. <laughs> like I, what was the, the school boards were, Ooh, you're getting a 90 some million dollar increase. <laughs> Turns out it was just like they allowed them to spend their own money. And increase the fees to charge parents so that parents right. can, right. can spend more on education. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm not a big, like, I don't care about, like, I'll look, let me just make that perfectly clear. I don't care about spending. I, I, I care about where it's spent 
I don't care about spending. Like you can talk to me, start talking to me about the need to lower the deficit and stuff like that. I'm lost immediately. Like my deficit matters. My Mm -hmm. debt matters. I don't give a rat's, you know what about Alberta's debt. I really don't. I care that all of our revenue is being spent on corporations and corporate welfare. Mm -hmm. And that people seem to be okay with that. Well, while trying to figure out, well, we debate about whether we should cut fees for doctors. Yeah. You know what? I don't want my doctor making less money. Because... Well, I, I, like, I don't understand a world where we even were worried about that. Like yeah. I want my, I, like we spend more per capita than health. Good. Good. Like <laughs> I bet you we spend more per capita on healthcare than they do in like, I don't know, Zimbabwe. I'm glad. Yeah. We should I want keep it healthcare. that way. <laughs> Like I bet you lots of countries and lots of jurisdictions don't spend what we spend on healthcare. That's not something we should be like, well, we're, we're being a little bit too uh, <laughs> gracious you make with your, our money. Let's yeah. cut this back a bit. No, we your should insulin be a little longer, stuff. you know, yeah. just, just tease it out a little bit. So these are the things that I like. There's always money when it's for free market capitalistic nonsense reasons. Mm-hmm. There's never money when it's for people. And all I'm saying is that, like, if the media isn't going to talk like that, who is? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the thing that blows my mind is I get all this attention for doing really what I think should just be an automatic. (laughs) No, that's, uh, that's a really great point, I think, that in that kind of environment where the media is not talking about it, we get Donald Trump, we get Jason Kenney, we get people who aren't held accountable and it falls to social unrest, which we're actually starting to see in this province. We're seeing thousands of people marching in the streets Mm -hmm. um, to protest these cuts. And so, yeah, no, that's an interesting, interesting thought and thing for all of us, I think, to to keep in mind. And so you mentioned holding the media accountable a little Mm -hmm. bit, um, holding government accountable. You guys have been working on that. I mean, weekly for the last couple of months, you guys have been putting it out there saying, Hey, this isn't true. This is like, let's have a conversation about it. What have you learned um, from that? So you kind of mentioned, you know, absolutely having to have your, your crap together. You know, Mm -hmm. you need to have some evidence. You need to have a pretty coherent research, better do a bit of research, better Mm -hmm. kind of have as big a picture as you can probably on a topic. So you're not just, you know, super one-sided about it. What else have you learned about the process of speaking? I guess, truth to power, what's been the backlash like, or what's been the impact? You mentioned lots of, you know, lots of emails in your inbox saying, thank you yeah. for doing this. A few handful of complaints and, and unsubscribes. Has yeah. there been much from the government that you've been holding accountable? Are they, I know that the, early on, I think they tried to get a correction printed or something, if my memory serves me, um, basically tried to just reinforce, like jam a PR release into your newspaper. Yeah. Um, what's, what, what's the response been and what have you learned um, in the process? Well, what I've learned is that they learned. And that's sort of what's funny is that um, they didn't really have communications. Like PR isn't really their their strong suit, I wouldn't say. And so mm-hmm. when this all started, they were, they were talking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, Twitter, uh, you name it. And it was exploding my coverage. Like, like yeah. I was gaining nothing but positives out of every time that they mentioned me. <laughs> Um, Jeremy was the one that wrote about the war room and got them to actually like the war room. That's what really blew it all up. Right. Was Mm -hmm. the war room's first act after existence was to go after the foreign radicals at the medicine hat news. Right. (laughs) And so that was the big thing. And then they helped us get all this attention. Yeah. So what I've learned about them is that they, as far as my stuff is concerned, um, Rebecca Schultz, the uh, children's services minister, she wrote an op-ed in response to something I had written earlier in the, in the month or in January, I should say. And after she wrote that, I responded to her response a little bit saying like, these are straw man arguments. I don't accept this. If you're going to, if you're going to play, then play. Like if you Mm want to answer my questions, answer my questions. If not, get out of the way kind of thing. Yeah. And they haven't, acknowledged my existence in any way shape or form since then now i I have no access to information at this point on my name in the government but i imagine somebody's told some people not to 
paying attention. Disengage, disengage. Which is good yeah. for smart on their part because yeah. all they can really do is get me get exposure for my for what I'm doing, right? And mm-hmm. so I've learned that they're learning uh, how to do this based on what I'm doing, which is kind of um, a neat scenario, I guess, helping <laughs> them learn communications. But um, and I just I've learned that this voice is um, it's dangerous because it's desired. The people, um, this, this province gets a reputation for, for being one way and one way only. And all our MPs are this and all of us, we've been conservative for however long. And, you know, there are a lot more progressive minded people than Alberta gets credit for. Mm-hmm. And those people have been dying for somebody to provide an honest voice in that, from that standpoint. And that's all this is like, I, I'll, I'll get accused all the time of being left wing, but what I'm writing, I mean, if, if advocating for strong public health care and education is left wing, then what are you doing on the right? Yeah, exactly. If, if suggesting that job creation tax cuts should lead to a job or two is being left wing, then what are you doing on the right? Mm-hmm. And if suggesting that telling the truth and calling out politicians when they are bold-faced lying to you. If that's left-wing, <laughs> like, what are you doing on the right? <laughs> so I don't think it's left-wing. I think it's, bal- I think it's sensible, smart journalism that I'm trying to provide people. Like, here are the facts. If I can show you that people are being paid less than they're worth based on the fact that here's the... F- here's the, sk- here's the wages are lower than inflation productivity is higher than inflation here's the graph if i can show you that and you can tell me why that's okay then that's all right mm-hmm. but well, it comes I'm down to values, right it's it, it really does become you know the fundamental filter that we use is our set of values and how we how we view the world and i think that one of the the challenges is that we've really um, typecasted a set of values and so you can't speak out for public health care without being labeled a lefty. Even totally. though you might also, you know, love entrepreneurship and competition and capitalism, like some of these things are not actually polar opposites of each other. And mm-hmm. they exist in lots of places in, yeah. in the world without the tensions that we're seeing, particularly mm-hmm. in North America, around the like really individualistic, really yeah. entrepreneurial minded, but comes with lots of kind of baggage, the right wing anyway around that. Um, but really it comes down to kind of, I think knowing and articulating your values and you starting to use those as a filter for the things that you care about and the things you start talking about, which is what I get when I read your columns. Like you obviously care, I'd, you know, mm-hmm. I, I try and resist typecasting people with left or right wherever I can, because I find, find it a very helpful um, exercise myself. Sure. I mean, obviously I'm not voting conservative. Like, no, I'm not trying to hide. <laughs> like I'm not trying to pretend to be like a centrist or whatever. I think, I think hugging the center, I've actually written that you should, that centrist like being in the center is great. I did that years ago, but mm-hmm. today, like present day Scott thinks that it's doing you no favors to hug the center anymore. I think modern day conservatism is like nothing like the conservatism people think that they fell in love with. And that like, we should probably do something about this because they're taking the, like you can, it's not about being anti-capitalism. It's about the fact that there are politicians and, and there's an ideology right now in, in North American politics that suggests that we should take the worst things about capitalism and, 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 and double down on those. Mm-hmm. Like, tr- like you could have trickle, you could, you could have capitalism without relying on trickle down economics. Mm-hmm. So if you, if, if I say, if, if I say trickle down economics is absolute garbage without a lick of evidence in 50 years of working for the collective good of people does that make me an anti-capitalist does that make me a socialist or a leftist or a communist or whatever are the labels that i get mm-hmm. to me that's asinine like if you look at the last 50 years and think that free market capitalism works show me well, you haven't been paying attention is what's right. happened, right? Right. So it's, how is that left or right when we're talking about worked or didn't work? 
Well, it goes back to the evidence and, you know? and truth. Like where where is this truth and whose truth matters and how do we tell it and and the noise that's just being constantly generated by the system to yeah. perpetuate the system, right? When I, you know, I look a lot at systems change work. I used to, so a lot of my work is in consulting and coaching and getting in there. And, you know, I particularly like to work in education and healthcare because those directly impact vulnerable people. And I want to help shift those. And all systems have a vested interest in upholding the system, right? Like it's just part and parcel of a wrestled with lots of bureaucracies by now um, where it's like, well, yeah, we, we say those things. We believe, you know, patient-centered care is great. Just don't make us do anything about it. Don't make us shift our practice. Don't make right. us, right? Um, so how do you, I guess it takes a little bit of agitation in the mm-hmm. system for mm-hmm. that to change. And where's the line? Like, do you have in your mind kind of like, where is the line here between what we believe to be right and the actions that we take and what we say with, and maybe it's just back to the evidence, right? Like, what does the evidence tell us? But your thoughts on that, um, Maybe you kind of from a personal perspective, because I know you just you just mentioned before we hopped on that you'd taken a week off um, yeah. writing because yeah. I'm imagining there's a little bit of stress, a little bit of, um, yeah. um, I guess, maybe burden of responsibility yeah. that comes with having a platform um, and using it and, and you want to be intentional and mm-hmm. proactive and solutions oriented with it and those types mm-hmm. of things. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about the personal journey of how this has been going, what's next for you, yeah. like what's, what's on tap for you, uh, what do you want to talk about? in the coming weeks and months um yeah it's it's been a ride i'm not gonna lie to you like i had i've never i've I've never been a limelight kind of guy you know (laughs) this is i'm in my 10th year at the medicine hat news 11th and almost 12th into in journalism itself right if i wanted the limelight i would have probably tried for it before i was 42 and married and (laughs) like you know i probably would have done that by now um so it takes a toll because I think like in September when I started, I had maybe 700 followers on Twitter. Now I have over 5,000, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that have showed up to sort of see what I have to say. And I think it's, I mean, it's great. It's flattering. Um, it's humbling because um, you realize that you do a job that helps shape conversation, right? And mm-hmm. so... Um, I take a lot of pride in that, but because I take a lot of pride in that, because I want it to be good for everybody, I, 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 I care deeply about the people that have been writing to me and, and, and helping support this and share this. I care about them getting more out of this that I'm trying to offer. Right. And so, yeah, it, it takes its toll sometimes, you know, no, no disrespect to my employer. Like I just do this on my own time. Like it's not a, I wasn't asked as part of my job. I have a full time five day a week making the newspaper job. Mm -hmm. So if I want to have a column, I have to make that happen on my own time. Mm -hmm. And so I have a family and I have other freelance that I actually do. And so I have a lot of things on the go. And sometimes, you know, you just, I guess that, like I said last week, I, I sat down and it was just, I wasn't getting any joy out of what I was doing. I was just feeling the burden of it. I was mm-hmm. just feeling bogged down by it. And I decided like, if I force something out, then I've lost control over what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to stay in control over this column. And this column exists because I just needed to know I was saying something. I just needed to know whatever happens that I was doing my best to be on the right side of history, Mm. you know, and I have a platform that so many would kill for. Like there are so many people, whether it be, you know, the progress report guys or the uh, progress Alberta or press progress or the Alberta advantage podcast. Another one, like there's so many people that have been doing this for a lot longer than I have for the last six months. I'm lucky enough to have this platform, this mainstream platform, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I want to live up to that, but I also have to make sure I have to understand that. Like I got to this point because I did, I wrote for myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I needed to kind of get back to that again. So I, I had, I took the week off so that I could just collect myself and realize, like, remember that this is, I, I started this cause I wanted to get some things off my chest and that's what I'm going to continue to do. So coming up, like 
while the UCP has hijacked a lot of what I've written because their policies make it so easy to write about those things, <laughs> um, I do have broader based things I want to talk about um, coming up as soon as I can here, maybe this week even, I'm not sure, but there, you know, I have a study from a, some economists at the University of Calgary that did on oil revenues over since about 1966. And of course, the obviousness is of the fact that Alberta has used these oil revenues to subsidize the cost of living for people for half a century. And it isn't going to take two or three years of policy change to reverse that. We have like a long haul. So mm-hmm. I want to write about stuff like that. I, I, you know, I just want to let people, I guess I want to show people that like we have systemic problems that go beyond the UCP and we have some real, real challenges on the way mm-hmm. like climate like our agricultural issues like i have a scientist brother-in-law and he's like the acidification of the ocean is worse than climate change mm-hmm. <laughs> the problems are big <laughs> and so i think like we need to start addressing aspects of our system that exacerbate these problems yeah you're speaking my language i uh I often refer to symptoms versus, you know, problems. And we spend so much time thinking about and talking about the symptoms of underlying problems. You know, Trump's just a symptom of something. Jason Kenney is just a symptom. Any government who's in power is a symptom of underlying. In my case, I I view it through a power structure, right? We have these power structures that have been built and their job is to reinforce themselves, right? To maintain power. Once you've got it, you usually don't want to give it up. And that's having like, that's the root of a lot of the work that I'm doing is, is, is there. And so I'd love to hear that you're, you're thinking about tackling some of these bigger structural and systemic issues, because I don't think they get the airtime. I know they don't get the airtime when we're, when we're, the news cycle is really short and it's clickbait headlines and people aren't digging into the science of ocean acidification, right? It's just not, not happening. So um, I think we could all use a nudge to think a bit more deeply and more broadly. Okay. Yeah, uh, life. I haven't like maybe this analogy won't come across very well, but it works so good in my head. But I think of every like I think of our society as like a long pipe, you know, and the pipe springs leaks all over it. Um, I get more in depth about it, but essentially, we just like to put band aids and gum on leaks as a society, just like how do we fix this leak, how do we fix this leak. And I want to talk about the pipe, like, how do we. <laughs> like let's fix the pipe like the pipe itself is the problem like it it ha- it's in it's inevitable some of these problems so how do we how do we fix that and to me that's that's what we need to start talking about because we're forever going to be just bickering over like you said symptoms if we don't start sourcing out some of these problems and just ad- being okay to admit like if it sucks that like all the rich people have all the money and like poor people are multiplying like daily. That doesn't mean you have to adopt Marxism or whatever, you know, <laughs> you can, you can just admit that. Yeah, there are, we have to figure out a way to fix that. We don't have to eat the rich, but maybe a like luxury goods tax or something might help. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, like, who knows? you know, um, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm probably of the, you know, every billionaire is a policy failure category. So I think extreme wealth is bad, but, but there are ways to go about these conversations if you at least can get to the par- the part where we all acknowledge that a really small portion of the population like minuscule portion of the population has all the money. Yeah. We're not even talking the 1% anymore. We're talking the 0.1%. Or the right. You're right. 1%. Yeah. Right. So everyone knows that's a problem, but it's like we, we have all these other things happening and we're constantly, like you said, looking at symptoms that we just continuously, doesn't matter who we vote in. We vote to continue to have these inevitable failures. And that's where I think like the meat, you know, like, for me personally, as a columnist, that's the kind of stuff I want to talk about. Like, how do we make decisions? Just get back to a world that makes every decision or, or even a society or a city or whatever that makes every decision with just people in mind. Like, mm-hmm. what's best for people? Like, Jason Kennedy doesn't even mention people's existence. Like, honest to God, listen to him. He doesn't talk about people ever. Ever. It's job creators and whatever. If he's talking about people, he's talking about the thugs that 
block railroad tracks and retweeting columns about um, zombie invasion of meth addicts. Mm-hmm. Like this is how he talked when he talks about people, but generally speaking, people aren't in his conversation. He talks about the economy and that's it. Yep. And, I, and the economy and corporations. And, yeah. and like Rachel Notley, she talks about the economy all the time also. Yep. I think she cares more about people than he does, but that doesn't change the fact that we have these politicians that whether they think they're forced to or not, they, their whole existence revolves around this thing called the economy, which is man-made. It has flaws. It's not science. It's just a system that we made up and we forget about like just doing what's good for people. I mean, if you can answer the question to yourself that, should money ever stand in the way of someone being alive or dead? The answer is no. Mm-hmm. But every single day all over the world, it's answering it. It's it decides that for people. Mm-hmm. Well, Alberta is supposed to, we're like the richest province in one of the richest countries. If we're at a point where we're telling people that they can't afford good health care anymore, like what are we doing with this system then? What's the point? Like, why, why are we all so pumped? <laughs> like, it's so addicted to this system that isn't even working for the richest province in the richest, one of the richest countries. It's like suppose. the proverbial canary in the coal mine, right? If it's right. not working here, then right. who's it working for? And right. how long do we have until it's like very obviously not working? And I think that, you know, again, it goes back to, I'll bring it just back to power. Like if you have lots of power in a system, you don't tend to see the flaws in it. You don't tend to see the downsides. It's always the marginalized and the oppressed and the people without power that are the the only ones that are impacted by Well, first of all, they have the least, they're least likely, they, they, you know, they're least likely to rise up or whatever, or to be a, a threat to you. But power is, people want power, right? Like when they have power, they want to keep it. And in our system, money gets you power. That's the fact. And so the people that have all the money, of course they've spent the last five decades trying to manipulate policy, manipulate politicians into being in their back pocket. Of course that exists. Of course they tell you that deregulation is just cutting red tape. Mm-hmm. You know, of course they tell you that. Of course that's good for you because it's good for them. And of course it's not good for you, right? Like rules to keep things safe and intact are what keep us even remotely close to these people that have all the money. To me, like nobody talks like that. Just straight up, duh. Of course these people are going to manipulate things to their benefit. And if I don't talk about it, and if the media doesn't hold them accountable, who the hell is going to do it? Well, and that's, that's the void you know, that uh, just in can one com- yeah one company owns a lot of the media mm-hmm. and if they're run like a corporation a profit making machine with owned by people with lots of money i mean how do you know that that isn't shaping how they portray things to you right so it's not just one that company either. I mean, mm-hmm. the media has been telling people the way the world works through the eyes of the economy for my entire life. Yeah. What's good for job creators is good for you. It's all nonsense, but it's so universally known, felt, that it's almost like, how do you undo this? How do you get people to realize that that they're in a mindset and a paradigm that is just that it's a mindset and a paradigm. And when you can step out of that and see that there might be other paradigms that exist in the world. Um, I mean, that's very threatening, I think to identity. That's very threatening to a sense of safety and certainty around the world. And in a, in an age of anxiety that we seem to be living in, in a constant bombardment by the media, you know, I had actually a, a woman named Dr. Evil, um, Catherine, Dr. Catherine um, Van Kessel, who's a researcher at the U of A on the podcast a few episodes back. And she talked about how, you know, fear of more like unconscious triggering of our mortality mm-hmm. drives 
us to become more and more entrenched in our existing worldview, to believe more fervently in whatever it is we believe, whatever our values happen to be. So we see this in religion, like with religions. Um, we see that actually they did some experiments with judges where they would yeah. subtly remind a judge of their mortality. And that judge would go on if they were a conservative judge to give stiffer penalties and fines for the day, essentially. Um, and so I think that, you know, again, back to the media, what's the media feeding us, but clickbait disasters, right? Yep. Airline, airliners being shot down, coronavirus sweeping the globe, the economies yep. in the tank, um, you name it. We're yep. constantly being reminded of how afraid we should be. And in that place of fear, we tend to hunker down. Um, and that's, maybe that's a huge contributor to, to well, exactly I, what we're talking about. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, I, it, it, like you said, like when you're, fi- when you're afraid like this, when you're fearing something at all times, like you're like, le- you're unlikely to question the things that are really sort of your real issues at hand. Right. Mm-hmm. And you kind of end up ignoring the things that are really causing you problems. Like, um, this is why I keep trying to talk about distraction with people all the time. Like, I mean, you know, it's like even the war room, like the war rooms, uh, it's a, it's, it's fun to make fun of and it creates, you can get a lot of clicks by even mentioning the war room, you know, but it's irrelevant really. I mean, like it has almost no followers on social media. I mean, nobody's paying attention, but us 30 million bucks only sounds like a lot. It's Mm -hmm. nothing to Alberta. We're not gouging doctors or, or cutting nurses or um, going after school boards or whatever because we need 30 million bucks for a war room. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. these aren't related things. So, but we get stuck as the media, like get stuck on the, Oh, the war room sells. So let's talk about the war room. And I'm like, as much a distraction for the media potentially as you were a distraction for the UCP. And you know, they allowed themselves to kind of become the story, which is obviously the first rule of PR is don't become the story. Um, But the media is kind of handing that to them in this war room. Like you say, it's, it's a distraction. It's, 30 million is not a lot of money um, when we contrast it to, you know, billions of dollars being given to corporations and the dismantling of education and healthcare, you know, that doesn't go very far. So. And, and just, even just that, like, again, like uh, it's the other thing, like I, I'm anti the 4.7 billion or whatever it is. It's going to be way more than that. I, the yeah. NDP ought to stop using that number. It's yeah. doesn't do them any favors, but it, it's going to be way more than that in the end. And it's not going to generate the revenue that they even thought that it might, you know, but I don't even like you, you could do all of that and still not dismantle the public healthcare system and the education. Like these are the things that, that make my head hurt, you know, like we don't need to get the money back from corporations. Like this is all under this notion that the province's wallet makes a difference to you one way or the other. And it just doesn't. It's a sales job by the people that have all the money for you to think that spending money it's, is this big thing on you. It's numbers on a computer. Well, and at your goal. level, at your level, like at an individual level, money matters a lot, a <laughs> lot. And the only thing that should matter to people is the you know $30,000 average debt that Albertans carry. That's that debt matters. They're mm-hmm. coming for that. Yeah. Nobody is charging you for servicing the debt. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's a it's a ruse. Yeah. Because they don't want to spend money on you because if they spend money on you, that's money that they can't they can't be sort of filtered out to the private sector. It's all about profits. Mhm privatization is all about profits. It's not about increasing or decreasing wait times in surgery. I mean, it is about people that can afford it, but they're not going to create another doctor out of this. Like opening a private or funneling money to a private clinic doesn't add a doctor. It takes one out of the public system. It takes one out of the public cough. It takes one away from the people. Yeah. So like I, I wrote about this, but unless like, all the numbers work out like in a vacuum and the exact right amount of people can afford that surgery and yada, yada, yada. You're actually increasing wait times for the people that can't afford that surgery. So why would you do it? Then the evidence is there. So why would they do it? Well, because somebody's going to make money. 
why would you want to close supervised consumption sites down and and put a thousand beds in private clinics unless you were trying to make some people some money i mean there's no all the evidence tells you that people are not are their lives are being saved at a supervised consumption site it's not about the life it's not about that life. I mean, they weren't even allowed to uh, take harm reduction into account, that panel, right? Yeah. So who, <laughs> who are they doing this for, if not the people that own these private clinics and their ability to make money? I mean, auto insurance, another one. The, 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 the report came out that showed that auto insurance companies are doing just fine, but we have to have 20, 30, 40% hikes to our Auto mm-hmm. insurance, oh, because they're losing a bunch of money. No, they're not. No, they're not. All these decisions are about private sector making money. That's it. They're not even really all that like shy about it. They're pretty mm-hmm. open. It seems like it's getting you know bolder and bolder, or at least like less like more obvious what the totally. where the where the incentives and consequences. Like at the end of the day, most like behavior gets down to what what's the incentive for this and what's the consequence and the incentives are very clearly skewed towards the, the private sector with all of these decisions that are being made and the consequences are being distributed back to the people that can't afford it at all yeah and and not private sector employment because that's yeah. gone all kinds of the other way yeah. right like it's not about propping up like that's what a lot of private sector employees who voted UC we're thinking like i get the mindset of like well, why should that teacher make like get a raise i don't get raises you know what i mean like i understand thinking that i still think you should aspire to like you know form a union in your pub in your private sector and force raises that way like actually gain some rights as a labor <laughs> like as a worker as opposed to trying to take another worker's rights away yeah but i understand why that mindset exists but that didn't happen either. Like they're, they're not like one of the very first acts was to take the overtime stuff away. Right. That, mm-hmm. that banking overtime thing that they did like day one after being sworn in. Yep. I mean, they like from day one, they have not done anything that is of benefit to the workforce. Which and the vast people, majority of us belong to. Right. They want the workforce to be mad at each other. They want private sector employees to hate public sector employees. They want RNs and LPNs to not get along. They want RCMP officers and truck inspectors to not get along, apparently. (laughs) We're all going to do the same job now. These kinds of things are not... they, They might not be sitting in a room somewhere concocting these little things like they're some sort of puppet master it's just that they aren't going these are these are residual problems that are, that come up based on the policies that they make and they aren't interested in solving them yeah which is all rooted in a mindset and a paradigm around right. the economy and right. and free market capitalism and the myths of that trickle down economic like there's lots lots of play behind the scenes and we're not having those conversations um Except apparently on this podcast and your <laughs> and your uh, your weekly editorial, man, there's no easy yeah. answers to this. Um, I, I don't think, but you know, one of them just to circle back to what we first started talking about was kind of the average consumer of media and using media to hold some accountability to our elected officials, to the system that we've built as society to to take care of us, to support us, to make connections. Maybe let's do a quick recap of the sure. thing. So like get get off the algorithms, get Definitely. it back into the mainstream media and find outlets that are I mean it, so- independent media is great. Like press yeah. progress is one that like every single person should be paying attention to. Like if you don't like what they're saying, then that's fine. But they source every paragraph there's links to sources of information like you gotta stick to the you it doesn't have to be mainstream it just has to be if it's going to be independent gotta be original sources then they better be sourcing their research and the mainstream media that you trust it better be willing to correct itself when it's wrong Mm -hmm. and if it doesn't then you shouldn't trust it either 
how can people support the work that you're doing? How can we, how can they connect with you in medicine hat news? Is there a, and I can, I'll put links in the show notes, um, but if yeah. people want to connect with you, what um, on Twitter is probably the, your most active. Yeah, the the best way to ensure that I'm going to see, see is to follow me on Twitter. That's uh, Schmitzy says S H M I T Z Y S A Y S. I have my, you know, Saturdays is laying it out. That's my column. Um, I have my email um, with that each Saturday. So that's, and that's schmidt at medicine.news.com. I have been getting more emails than I ever thought I might. So <laughs> it's, I haven't replied to many in um, the last few months, but um, I do read them all. Um, and any feedback that you guys have, please do. And just keep sharing when you see my stuff, if you like it, share it because, um, like I said, the UCP's probably done boosting it for me. <laughs> and so we need the, if the voice is going to get out there and exist, then we need people to read it because um, that's the only way. And um, if you feel like um, supporting the newspaper, we have online subscriptions that you can always visit our website and get, um, if you're in medicine hat, buy a print subscription. I know, um, newspapers are so last year, but they are, I think an integral aspect of the local community. Mm -hmm. So we always could use your support. And there's about 50 employees at this newspaper that, uh, are all really, really good people that, um, deserve your support as well. So just keep reading and keep sharing. Awesome. Well, we will do that. I will certainly do that. And yeah, I want to thank you for carving out the time. I know you've got columns to write and papers to lay out. So um, I really appreciate every every Saturday when uh, when I read your your piece and your opinion and the, the effort that it takes and the toll that it takes to speak truth to power. Um, it's just something we should all be doing a little bit more of, um, I think. So thank you for, for leading the way on that one. And uh, yeah, wonderful to chat and we'll connect yeah. with you soon. Thank you very much, Jeff. I appreciate you having me, man. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. All right. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode of Powerful with Scott Schmidt, the layout editor and columnist at the Medicine Hat News. And I highly recommend that you check out his work every Saturday and follow him on Twitter and engage. Share his columns if they resonate with you and read them even if they don't resonate with you. Get out of your news bubble. Get off the Facebook algorithm and spend some time exploring the nuances of some of these conversations and digging past the distractions and digging into some of these decisions that our government is making if you're here in Alberta or your government if you're somewhere else in the world. I realize this was a very heavy on the Alberta situation. So listeners outside of Alberta, I hope you're able to also take some nuggets out of this conversation with Scott Schmidt about speaking truth to power and really looking past the symptoms and digging into root causes of some of the issues and challenges that we face as communities and as a society. As usual, I love it when you share this podcast, so give it a like, give it a share. Um, If you can drop us a rating or review on iTunes or your favorite podcast player, that really helps us reach a wider audience and have a bigger impact in the world. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful week, and we will talk to you again very soon.